Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us today is Dr. Timothy Snyder. He's the Richard C. Levin Professor of History at Yale University, permanent fellow at the Institute for Human Sciences in Vienna. Uh, he speaks five and reads 10 European languages, so I'm out after three. You, you got me on that. But he, he's here to talk to us about a, a couple of things, and starting out is the graphic representation of his book, Tyranny. I got that one right, I hope. Uh, so when we come back after this important commercial break, we'll, because we have to pay the bills, of course, we'll have Dr. Timothy Snyder. Stick around. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us again is Dr. Timothy Snyder who joins us from uh, Yale University in his office today. Uh, Dr. Snyder, it's good to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you again. I, I'll, I'm going to start out by uh, just asking this question. What, what's, what's the graphic? Why graphic? And what are we doing with tyranny? Tell me about it. So, uh, I, so I, wrote, I wrote on tyranny in, in late 2016 under the impression of, of Donald Trump having won the election. And the idea was to remind Americans that freedom is something that you do. It's not something that just comes naturally. I was, I was afraid, and I was right to be afraid, that a lot of folks would say, nothing like this has ever happened before, so what can we do? And so in the book, I, in the 20 lessons of the book, I wanted to say, actually, things like this have happened before, and there are wise people who can tell us what to do. I was also afraid lots of people would say, the institutions are going to save us. We're America. We're exceptional, and so on. And uh, I wanted to knock that reaction that reaction off as well, because obviously the institutions are only as good as we make them. And if you expect the institutions to be like some kind of outside force saving you, you're actually weakening the institutions, and you're making tyranny more likely. So I wrote the book all in a rush. I like I called on what I knew as an East European historian, as a historian of Nazi Germany, as a historian of the Soviet Union, to, to bring this book to play. And it had an effect. You know, it, it it lots of people read it. I heard from folks not just in the US but all around the world, to my surprise. Um, you know, from Turkey to India to, to Hong Kong to Latin America to Eastern Europe, pretty much everywhere. The reason why I wanted it to be graphic was that I wanted, I wanted to try to reach us in a different way because if freedom is something that you do and not just something which is done for you, then it means you have to be reflective about yourself. And the, the drawings that Nora Krug, who's a fantastic, talented artist has added, um, do that. Like they, they allow you to see yourself in the world in a way that I think only words can't do. 
And then by the way, like on tyranny has now been updated. So I, the lessons are all the same, but I've, I've changed some of the text to account for the things that happened in 2020 and early 2021. The things that you wrote about in the book and, and um, I, I, uh, two questions come from what you just said. Two, the, first, what came from the book about institutions? The number of times I've heard people say, and, and I, you know, I walk into that White House every day and they think that it's some kind of uh, sacrosanct church that will save you from, you know, from yourself. And it, it, since we're the government of, by, and for the people, I've often had a, had a problem making that connection, how a, an idea of an institution can save you if you're not involved in it. And yeah. Do you think that we've, that we've either failed or we haven't completely recognized that fact, or do you think that we're making the progress in the right direction? I think it's a very, I think it's a very mixed picture. I mean, first of all, Brian, you're making like you're making a very essential point about democracy. I mean, democracy means the people ruling, and the people aren't going to rule unless the people want to rule. And one of the problems with democracy is that, as people, we have a tendency not to want to take responsibility. We have a tendency to be afraid, to shy away, to think, as you say, that. Like a fl- an army is going to rescue us or a flag is going to rescue us or a, a nicely painted building is going to rec- rescue us or the right phrase is going to rescue us. But nothing's going to rescue us. Like the whole point of democracy is we're enlightened, free people. We're going to take responsibility for ourselves. And, the, and, and the, the temptation is not to do so. You know, The temptation is, in the case of some people, I mean, getting to your question, the temptation is to is to rather have a tribal leader, you know, to have somebody right. who tells you a big story, a big lie, something which is obviously not true, in which he himself obviously doesn't believe, but which is comfortable, you know, like, so Trump, Trump says he wins the elections, then you get to be on the winning side, you get, and you get to be a victim, and that's very comfortable, because like, you, you both get to win, and you get to lose at the same time, you get to feel like a winner and like a loser, which, by the way, is the classic, that's the classic fascist mix of emotions, like we should win, but somehow we're a victim at the, at the same time. So, are we making progress? I think it's very mixed. I think a lot of Americans learned a lot between 2016 and 2020. I think civil society reacted in 2020 very differently than it did in 2016. I think a lot of journalists learned to cover stories differently between 2016 and 2020. I think a lot of journalists and I'll others- I'll push back a little on that, but go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, good, you should, because if you don't, then you're not taking responsibility for your people. But, but, but at least some some of the folks, you know, with whom I had Some journalists, with, yes. Yeah, yeah. Realize that you can't really do journalism without some kind of attention to facts, you know, that it's not just he said, she said, it's not just on the one side and the other side. It's not just Republicans and Democrats that balance, you know, there is balance doesn't make sense until you know what actually happens out in the world. With us, I think it's also that, as you say, I think journalists also fall into the trap of, of, of bowing to the tribal leader and, and Mm -hmm. for access purposes, I get to ride on Air Force One, I get to be at the White House. So I'm in the in crowd. So if I push too hard, then I'm not, I'm not going to be part of that in crowd. And therefore I won't be the winner. And I won't. And at the same time, I won't be able to, to, to cry that I'm, you know, being victimized. So it, I think journalists are representative of the country as a whole. And what concerns me when I, and especially when I hear what you have to say, and it's, I mean, it, it reflects, I see that every day. I, I go back to what a wiser man than I once said, and that is that uh, for democracy to succeed, we need to be well-informed, 
well-educated and participating. And I, I think that that's, isn't that where, I mean, today, you, if you have an election and 50% of the, of the voters get involved, you're, we're lucky. We consider that a good turnout if more than 50% turnout. So even if you have, if you elect someone, say it's by a slim majority of those votes that are cast and less than 50% of the votes are cast, that means that it's not majority rule, it's, it's ruling by uh, the majority of a minority. Does that make sense? Um, uh, yeah, it does. I want to I want to go back, though, to a couple of things that you said. I mean, sure. the, about access and about participation before we talk about like the, 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 the voting part of participation, because voting is only part of participation. And yeah. um, number one, you know, when you talk about access, like when you when that's pushed to the extreme, that becomes. Uh, an apology for, you know, as you said, the cult of a leader authoritarianism right. in my, so I'm an East European historian, like the, the classic case in my field of what you're talking about is the New York times, Moscow correspondent, Walter Durante in Moscow, yes. um, who, you know, managed to win a Pulitzer prize for reporting in which he basically apologized for Stalin's five-year plan. Um, including rationalizing and wrapping up in a kind of a nice wrapper, um, the, a famine which killed something like 4 million people in, in Soviet Ukraine. And that was about a number of things, but one of the things it was about was just what you said. Access. access right, access. But then let me continue the analogy. It was, then, it was illegal at that time to travel around the Soviet Union as a journalist. Like all you had was access. If you didn't have access, you didn't have anything. You couldn't actually go to Ukraine and report. It was impossible or close to impossible. One or two heroic people did it. And I mean, without saying that America is exactly the same, obviously you can get in your car and drive to North Dakota if you want to. We have, we, have a, we have a similar problem, kind of a minor key, which is that we've lost almost all of our local journalism. Yes. Right? So, so what we know about our country is no longer based on what journalists in, you know, I don't mean, I'm not making fun of any of these states in particular, but it's just in general, most of, most of America is now a news desert. I mean, territorially, most of the counties in the U.S. don't actually have a reporter anymore. Which was so, and so what that means is that it's everything is all askew. You know what what journalists. So this gets to participation. I mean, the way that journalists should be participating in our country is first of all, you know, knowing where the water's polluted in Kentucky. Yes. Right. Like that's that's like that's where participation starts, and then. And we don't know that. Like, so we're imitating authoritarian countries because it's all becomes all about access and it's not about actual knowledge, right? And then that in turn makes us more authoritarian because then the people, if you're a person and you don't, there are no reporters around you, what does participation look like? Participation means you're taking part in some story or some other story, which comes down to you from Washington or maybe comes down to you from St. Petersburg, you know, the Russian one, not the Florida one. You're taking part in some, you're <laughs> taking the, part in- Or it could be the Florida one of Trump <laughs> there. <laughs> right. In fairness, it could be. <laughs> uh, but you're taking, so participation means suddenly you're taking part in some kind of story, right? Well, and so I, like I, should those, have, I should have interviewed you for the book I've got coming out in January called Free the Press, because that's, the, that's a very, you're, what you're talking about, about news deserts and participation is mm -hmm. so, so pointed and so- I mean, there are reporters I know today that are that have never gone to a city council meeting. There are fewer. There are half. There are twice the number of people on this planet today as on the day that I was born, and half the number of reporters. Media mm -hmm. consolidation, which began under Ronald Reagan, has destroyed independent journalism. Those news deserts that you talk about. There are places I've worked 
We can start yeah. right here in suburban Maryland. When I first moved here, there were there was a daily newspaper, there were two weekly, three weekly newspapers, a couple of radio stations, and the Washington Post that covered county politics. Yeah. Today, no one is, and yeah. there's yeah. you know there's no one sitting in the county council meetings. There's no reporters sitting in a city council meeting. There's very few city you know very few reporters that cover city hall and know how to walk in and know who the players are to right. ask the questions and to look for information. I, I have run into reporters at the white house who have no idea how to go to a city clerk's office and get information. And yeah. yet they're covering yeah. the white house. Yeah. So yeah, I, it, the access part of it. And I, the news deserts are huge. And I, I think that's helped the divide the country and, and has driven us into two different camps, tribal camps. No, absolutely. That's that's how the whole logic works. Because if you and I, let's say, you know, you and I have different views on issues of national politics, but neither of us wants the city council to be corrupt. Right. You know, neither of us wants our kids to drink to drink lead or mercury in the water. Right. And, and maybe and so, we want that stoplight down at the corner where there, all the accidents are going on, and right, we need the right. potholes fixed in our, right. in our street. Right. Yeah. And so we'll continue to disagree about abortion or whatever it might be, but. We will be we'll be more likely to regard one another as people because we both know about this stuff. I mean, the problem now is like most like you don't even know if the city council is corrupt, as you say. You don't even know if there's mercury in the water, right? Um, because there's no one there's no one to tell you these things, and that and without factuality, we lose that basic local bond, right? We don't have the same home truths anymore. We don't have home truths. We just have the stuff that comes from from far away, and the stuff from far away takes our dis different disagreements about national stuff. And, 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 and uses that to polarize us. And it's not just like some kind of passive thing. It's not just the absence of local news. It's also the presence of social media, which pounds into your head and pounds into my head, um, how, we, how we basically belong to different tribes and how this is irreconcilable. And like the, the, the way the internet plays is the opposite of the way you know, you're describing local news because what the internet does is it gives, you the, it gives us the stuff we kind of like already and then occasionally stuff that makes us afraid of other people and the stuff that we like already is actually not what's true you know like we don't want to hear that there's mercury in the water but maybe there is mercury in the water right? but <laughs> i've the been to flint michigan like, there is <laughs> yeah, yeah right, right that's an excellent example of what i mean what's happened you know that's like the whole country in a you know in a test tube right there flint michigan um and so what you know so where we are is that we, we get led down, you know, we get led down the garden path. The internet looks like it has lots of information, but it doesn't actually have the stuff that you need to live a normal life and be a human being. Right. And, and so this book, Tyranny, when you take a look at, and we've gone down the rabbit hole on, on how we get there. But uh, one of the things that the other part that I wanted to hit on that is the graphic part of it also mm -hmm. appeals to a certain uh, age and mindset that will accept and likes that type of information. So visual as well as as uh you know reading what is kinesthetic you know information gathering um do you find that you're, are you hoping to appeal to uh to younger a younger audience with it as well i mean i'm 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 hope i'm hoping to appeal to everybody including people who just know, read differently and learn differently because the book has you know the book has the same number of words i mean i wish we i could kind of <laughs> show it you know to your people but it has the same number of words almost ex you know exactly i updated some stuff but it, it has like within five or ten the same number of words but it now is like a book i mean on tyranny was a pamphlet you can put it in your pocket i i bump into i bump into folks all the time on the street who say i've got your book in my jacket pocket i've got your book in my purse or i have two copies of your book in my purse because i so i can give one away to people i've got um, it in my briefcase and i carry it to the white house with me oh <laughs> I, uh, um 
and but so with with so that the book that Nora Krug and I did together now is now really a book like it's a hundred you know it's it's 136 pages long and it's and it's you know it's got it's a different weight it's twice as big it's a beautiful object which the original one was not and so yeah I mean of course I'm hoping that younger people will read it and like it and like from the very you no know, just came out a week ago but I've now I've seen children reading it now like I've seen children like pick it up as an object and then like get into it which is very yeah. encouraging because that wouldn't have happened with the original one but I'm also I'm I also you know people just read differently like people people process things differently and so I find like I like graphic stuff you know I find when I read the graphic version of Ontarity I feel differently than when I read the other one right yeah. and so maybe people who like to read that different way are going to find a way into it that's what I'm hoping anyway well, one of the things I remember for, I, that I wanted to ask you when I read it was, how do you address, how do I put this uh, <laughs> delicately? How do, no, I'll just put it bluntly. How do you address the fact that we have on both sides, people who get information that they want and are deaf, dumb, and blind to information that they need? Because I yeah. find that that, that, feeds into tyranny when you only when you stay in one informational silo where you feel comfortable and you only get news that you and, and information that you like that reinforces what you already believe that mm -hmm. adds to tyranny how do you get people to open up yeah i mean that's a, that's 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 super tough so number one you do what we already did a little bit which is that you don't just blame people, you talk about the overall informational system, right? So like, you know, I'll, I'll go nostalgic on you too. Like when I grew up in Ohio, um, I had a local newspaper in my little town and there were two newspapers in the nearest city, you know, and and there were, and most of the, cover, a lot of the coverage was local. And like, I knew the city, I knew who the city councilmen were. I knew who the, I knew who the county commissioners were. I knew who was on the Dayton city council. I knew that stuff as a kid. Um, but that is a kid who was born in 2000 is not going to have that same thing right so he's that kid he or she is living in a different mental place than i am and we got to recognize that and say okay it's part we can't just dismiss all these people it's a system right and we have to change the system that's number one Num number two well, is, how do you do that how do you change the system okay well that there you have to use the state you have to use the state i think we have to we have to see we have to say um you know, let's use water as an analogy, like if clean water is good, you know, information is also good. And there's like a long tradition of this. I mean, from the Greeks forward, all serious people who argued in favor of democracy assumed that there was going to be something like equal access to relevant information. <laughs> and it's very hard to find people, very hard to find Democrats, like small D Democrats in the 2000 years people have been in favor of democracy, who say things like, it's okay, it's okay to have fiction. It's okay to have big lies. On the contrary, like, I mean, from Aristotle forward, the worry is that you're gonna get some kind of oligarch who is gonna have some kind of apparatus and he's gonna tell you a big lie. Like that's a problem for democracy. And so, you know, so you have, so you have to say like, this is a common good. Like this is part of the deal, that factuality is part of the deal. And therefore, you know, just like we, you know, just like we tax for other things, like for example, to have an army, we're going to tax social media to support local journalism, right? I mean, you can even, you can think of it as a tithe if you want, like social media is what's messing this all up. So they should be paying enough to counter, to counteract or to use economics terminology. You internalize the externality. They create this externality, which is 
lack of knowledge and aggression and so on. And so they should be paying enough to revive local local journalism. But I think, I mean, just how you do it, you know, I'm, I'm, there are people who can probably just say this better than me, but it can only begin when we say democracy depends upon facts. Like democracy isn't just my whims and my being manipulated. It, it depends on the facts. And number two, I, I interrupted you while you were you're saying- uh, you're, Yeah, it's like, oh, thank you. That's well, <laughs> I mean, hosts almost never do what you just did. Um, so, so number one was like acknowledge it's a system. Um, number two, I kind of said right then, which is that you have to accept that there are values at play. Like everybody wants everything to be neutral, like you have your opinion, right. Mike, but there is a value and the value is truth. Like that's a value and you got to assert that value. You can't, if, 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 if nobody asserts that value, then spectacle, then spectacle always wins. And then number three, there is individual behavior. Individual behavior is stuff like subscribe to newspapers, you know, don't be thoughtful about how you use the internet. Um, only, only as a human, only pass on stuff that was reported by other humans. If it wasn't reported by a human, don't pass it on, you know, um, support the reporters in that way as well. Well, that's, I, you know, one of the things that, and before we go to the break, I'll, I'll uh, I, the last thing I wanted to talk about when you talk about tyranny was, you, you know, reporting things that, that are only reported by humans. I find that, like, particularly when we talk about the coronavirus pandemic. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. There are people who say, look, I, before I get the um, vaccine, I want to do my own independent research. And I have asked repeatedly what people mean by that, because uh -huh. to me, if you're doing research as a scientist, that means you are testing different strains of vaccine. You have a control, you have it's peer reviewed and you, you, yeah. you go through an entire process. But what I find that people mean when they say I'm doing my own research is they go to YouTube or they go to Google or they go online and find what their friends are thinking. So yeah. that to me, while you want to report what other people are saying, how do you, <laughs> you, you have to take that extra step, I think, in seeing that the information is vetted from an actual reliable source. I'm going to, I'm with you. I'm going to like, I'm going to kind of start with health though, because yes, health, health is really important here. Like the whole, the whole COVID crisis in the U.S. is also a reporting crisis. Oh yeah. Like, like one more story where, Americans, you know, immediately jumped up into the, the 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 national level and the ideological level and the paranoid level and the fictional level, and we partly did that because we had bad leadership, but we also partly did it because there are no reporters covering hospitals. You know, there was like there was there was this quote unquote third wave of flu all over the country, um, and emergency rooms are filling up before we knew it was Corona, before we even knew what Corona was. Like in, in early 2020, I was in the hospital then, and I saw it with my own eyes. And people were baffled. The pulmonologists were baffled, like they're running tests. Like, what is this thing? You know, the guy next to me, you know, the pulmon has it. The pulmonologists come in, you know, what, what they can't figure it out. There, there's nobody to report that, right? And if somebody had been, like, if there had been a storyline, which was, what is this mysterious third wave of flu? Americans would have been ready for it. And then even during the pandemic, you know, we had some reporting, local reporting about, about you know, the mass graves and the nursing homes. Right. But what if we'd had local reporting about that in all 50 states? then people would have been more likely to think, oh, this is real because I just saw it on this local newspaper. And so like the whole, like Corona was, COVID was also an informational crisis in, in, in the US. And then like going, then going to your question, um, it, 
I, I guess we can't really survive this problem you're describing unless people come to understand that the internet is like more like a seance or more like a magician <laughs> show than it's like, than it's like, 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 yeah. I mean, no, you go like, oh, you want to believe you can talk to the dead. And so like, you can talk to the dead. Right? <laughs> right. You want to believe the magician can pull something out of a hat. If you want to believe it, you can, you know, you can do it. But if you're, you have to be a little bit tougher than that on yourself. You know, like this is partly about toughness. Like we have all these people. Individual in responsibility. Yeah. I mean, it's about like, like what you were talking about, like the difference between what you want to hear and what's, what's actually out there, you know? Um, so if you go on the internet, like the internet knows that you are quote unquote skeptical. The internet, the, like the algorithms know and they take the worst in you and they make, and they give it back to you, right? They take you what you fear and they give it back to you. And then you think, oh, what I feared was, was right. And, uh, and you, ha you have to realize like, that's a seance, like that's a magic trick. It's not, you know, it's an illusion and it's all about money. I mean, when you go, it's like a paid seance or like it's a, yes. you're paying $5 to see a magician fool you. And if you know that you're paying $5 to pay a magician fool you, that's cool, right? You know, it's a show that's cool, but why are you paying $5 to pay a magician to fool you and not know that he's fooling you? You know, like, I think we have to like that, like you got to get that message across because but otherwise people are like, when they say the word research, as you say, they're just flattering themselves, you know, because right. it's, that's, you know, and that's not good. No. And I, you know, when you talk about the beginning of the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic that, and the lack of reporting, I remember there were people that were telling me, look, um, all you have to do is uh, uh, ingest a um, Clorox or expose yourself to light. I was in the freaking uh, briefing room when the president said mm. that. And yeah. so that was at, that was, you know, six months in, I guess, uh, to the pandemic and people bought that without ever. And so I, I go back to that and go, it's so easy to spread, you know, misinformation and disinformation, or yeah. as, you know, Lincoln said, you know, a lie will make its way around the world before the truth puts its boots on. But <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you address that when the people that are supposed to be providing you vetted factual information they do not well we don't we don't have i'm saying nothing original but we don't have the law set up the right way i mean it, it if because if facebook etc present themselves ludicrously as a neutral platform they don't bear any responsibility for what they publish whereas in fact they're a publisher and it's ridiculous that like the little vulnerable publishing houses are afraid of lawsuits Yes, and the people the people who actually bring us books, which we need, are afraid of lawsuits. The newspapers, which are tiny commercial enterprises, are afraid of lawsuits. Even the biggest ones are tiny, right? In the grand scheme of things, they're tiny. I mean, the whole Financial Times is like is nothing, you know, financially speaking. It's a tiny, tiny thing. Um, why should they be afraid of lawsuits? And Facebook is not afraid of lawsuits. When Facebook is the one that it's actually designed to be an engine of disinformation. But again, like you can't. You can't make these points unless you get around the paradigm, which says it's all about how you feel. Yeah. And like, this is one of the few points where I'm willing to say like the left and the right both share some blame for this because it's all yeah, about absolutely. how you feel. It's all about how you feel. Like that's a left-wing story, you know, that like yeah. the, all the, the, the personal is just the political. And so like the feeling, the feeling is first, you know, to quote an E. Cummings poem, which I really don't like. That, that <laughs> it, it's, it, I like, know the poem and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and that like that, once you, once you make that move, and then it's very hard to defend yourself against other people say, well, I feel that vaccines don't work. And right. I feel that Donald Trump is an authority on this stuff, right? It's very, you, then there's no, 
there's no longer there's no longer a barrier, right? There's no longer a safety wall. You can no longer say, hey, let's both let's both look at the referee journal because feeling is first, right? Yeah. And so the, that's the left's fault, but the right naturally has seized onto that. And so now it's like, now what counts is the feelings of oligarchs. Like that's really important how oligarchs feel about themselves and like other things matter a lot less. Right. Well, it, when you say, look, I don't like the way you make me feel. Well, maybe you should feel uncomfortable. But <laughs> you know, if, if, you're a, if you are embracing not knowledge, but disinformation, you perhaps should feel uncomfortable. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course, of course, and, of course you should. Yeah, of course. You should. I mean, that's like Goethe, the German writer Goethe, the, like their Shakespeare. He had this phrase, which I love, which is significant roughness. Like, yes. if it's not, if it's significant, it's going to be a little bit rough. Yeah. You know, and if it's rough, it might be, it might be a little bit sig sig significant. And that is well, exactly I had a right. date like that once. <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to cut that part of this interview for you. Brother. No, I'll we'll um, leave it in. <laughs> um, so, so, um, so, 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 but I want to just like go back to make, make a comparison with journalists, like with journalists, like you go out into the field and you find stuff you didn't know, and it's going to make you maybe uncomfortable. It's going to make your readers a little uncomfortable. And if it doesn't, it probably wasn't a story. And history is the same thing. Like you go out into the archives, you find stuff you didn't expect to find. You're looking for one story. It turns out the story is a different story. It yeah. always is. And then there's yes. that moment of discomfort where you realize like, oh, I was actually kind of wrong. I was asking the wrong question. And that's a little uncomfortable. You know, it's nice to be right or to think you're right. And that feels better than to realize you're wrong and to tell a different story. But the different story you're telling has a virtue that it might actually be true yes. and therefore and therefore helpful to, to, to other people. And like, that's the thing. Like, if you want to be comfortable, then it's time to get comfortable with authoritarianism because authoritarianism is going to give you that at least until it breaks down. And then, it, you know, and then it's a horrible mess, you know, until until your dear leader dies and it's a big mess. Right. Right. But, but until such time, you know, they're going to tell you the lies that they want you want to hear. I mean, that's like Trump is such a good example of this. Like he works, he works out in the postmodern way where he works together with the Internet. Like he's yeah. partly Internet creation. He works well with the Internet. He finds the stuff that makes you feel comfortable or sometimes makes you feel angry. And if that's what you want to do in life, like you just want to feel comfortable and then occasionally be angry at some imagined enemy you've never even met, don't even know. If that's how you want to live life, cool. Then like you're an authoritarian, right? Yeah. Like you're a sheep. That's cool. You know, you're a sheep be that yeah. but if you want to be a, if you want to be a democrat in the sense of small d democrat yeah you're going to feel uncomfortable that's that's the way it works but it, like it's better you know like that's an, that's another case i think we have to be able to make it's like yeah it's actually better to be self-aware and reflective and you're gonna have more interesting life and more interesting friends and more interesting elected leaders if you're a little bit reflective about stuff and willing to realize that yeah part of political life and life in general is about being surprised and being uncomfortable and being uncomfortable well you know and i'll go but just two quick points before we go to break. And that is, uh, I think religion sets people up for authoritarianism, the sheepish uh, part of that, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I smell like sheep. But um, <laughs> and I, you know, I, if you're religious, I respect anybody's religion. But I think when you put yourself in a, at a position where you don't question where you accept on faith things, then that puts you in a position to be manipulated by by humans a lot easier. And then what you said about journalism, I, I take to uh, uh, heart too, you know, about finding facts. I can't tell you the number of times I've had young reporters come to me and say, this is what I think. And I go, I don't really care what you think. I barely care what I think. What do you know? You're mm -hmm. going to walk out of this uh, newsroom with an assignment. You may think the story goes one way and it may go the other. And that doesn't mean that you're wrong. And that doesn't mean that yeah. you know, somehow you've made a mistake. It means you've done it right. When you find the truth, when you find the facts and bring them back and go, well, Brian, I went out and, 
you know, they, they said the water is fine and I was going to write this puff piece, but then we tested it and the water is, you know, really bad. So here's, mm-hmm. and here's the scientific test that we can, then, then I go, yeah, that's reporting. Otherwise yeah. it's just propaganda. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. Okay. I have, st- I have stuff to say, but I think you're going to break. <laughs> yeah. I want hold that thought and uh, we'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast. To help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And oh, gosh, Dr. Snyder, I guess, well, let's go back to uh, where we were uh, before the break. You had some things to say about what I threw in there right at the end. So I'll, I'll let you go and and let's start with the uh, the. Um, I guess we were talking about the religious part of it. Yeah, I, I wanted to, I wanted to chime in on that because I think the part part of the problem is that you know people people do people want to have something to believe in, and it's easier right. to it's easy to believe in somebody who gives you a simple story, and the simple story can be about us and them. You know, the simple story can be about how one group runs the whole world. You know, and if all you want to do is believe, you know, the, the, then you're going to tend to believe in the, sim, in the simplest, the simplest thing. And this, this is kind of where truth comes in, because the nice thing about believing in truth is that truth is by, by, by its nature is going to be surprising. It's going to, it's going to not be what you think. And so if you want to believe in something like believe in truth, but truth is not the thing that you think at a given time, you know, truth is the stuff that you find out along along the way i think religion can set people up for this in different ways is what i wanted to say like if i think one way religion sets people up is they want they they it it can teach them that whoever puts themselves in front of them and claims their belief they should believe right which is the trump phenomenon i mean obviously a lot of people have a fundamentally religious attitude towards trump it's hard to understand like you know as a kind of as a, as a, like, you know, an immature, you know, immature, capricious, like Old Testament, you know, God, like the kind of person who would flood the earth, like, yeah, I can see it, right? But, but, um, but, but there's also the version of religion, which says something like, uh, you're, you know, that, that the good is, the good is very important. Um, the earth is imperfect. You know, we live on an imperfect place. Let's, no, let's, let's, let's notice that it's imperfect. Let's try to move it in a good direction, right? And there are people motivated like that religiously who can be very attentive to facts. Right. Yeah, so I just wanted to get that in. Yeah, there's, there's a dichotomy there that you have to appreciate when you're going to, again, that's a study of facts and truth. There are things from religion that I find very comforting and very, and, and well, I don't want to use the word comforting, but um, very um, encouraging. But then there are those, then the things where you follow blindly a leader because of uh, faith, that kind of, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is, is yeah. where I, I fall away from it. And then the other part we were talking about, about um, what I think versus what I know. That's, I mean, I, I find 
journalism to be the application of the scientific method to finding, you know, to, to communication. And one of the things that you said earlier was <clears throat> that, uh, you know, it, it, bad reporting is part of the problem and no reporting is part of the problem. We just don't have people in place to do that anymore. How do you envision going forward curing that problem? I mean, I, I uh, yeah, I, I just want to say I agree with, I, mean, I in my own, in my own thinking, I think of it as more like, like, like you have a hypothesis. And the thing about a hypothesis is that it's there to be wrong. Right. It's not, right. It's, not, <laughs> right. it's not, it's not, it's not there. I mean, maybe, I mean, you might be right, but it's unlikely, you know, yeah. the whole, the hypothesis is like, it's like, it's a starting you know, it's like, point. Yeah. It's like the guy behind you on the plane who pushes you out, you know, <laughs> when you're, when you <laughs> like the hypothesis <laughs> is what gets like, it's what gets you into the story. Right. right? It, it propels you into the story. You're, if you don't have a guess that there's something in here that's interesting, that you're not going to write a story. But then the hypothesis changes. It gets disconfirmed, and it changes, and it changes, and it changes until you, until you get it right. And that's what's cool about both reporting and and history. And I think to answer your question, we can't do this without starting again thinking about the children. And that that goes with. I mean, we've already talked about the screens, but if you if you give the kids too much screen time, then they're going to get used to the you know a, a, an entity which which creates these various feedback loops, which are comfortable, you know, I mean, they're bad for the body and all, but they're comfortable in a certain way. I think a lot more of our education, uh, well, first of all, to be clear, I think all our education should be offline, except for programming classes. Um, there's a reason why all of our Silicon Valley oligarchs that I know, and I know quite a few of them, they all send their kids to schools where there are no screens. There's a reason for that. And that's that they know what the screens do. They want their kids to read books and they're right, right? And so why should they, you know, why then should everybody else? I mean, we spend about 10 billion a year in this country to get screens into classrooms. Why are we doing that? If what the true elite wants is not to have screens in the classrooms, right? Why are we, you know, we're gonna put them in and eventually we're gonna take them out. I think we should only have screens for programming classes and like, like let, let turn the relationship around. If there's a screen in the classroom, that means the kid is the master, not the screen. Right. If, if you have a screen, that's because the kid is learning how to do things to the screen, through the screen, and not things coming through the screen of which the kid is like, is, is expected to become part, you know, part of what's basically an algorithmic world governing his or her behavior. But then on the positive side, I think a lot more of our education should be about kids finding things out about the world around them, like literally the world around them, like the forest, the stream, the housing development, the city council, right? Like they should all in middle school, I did actually did this. I mean, we're sounding like- I did too. But like, actually, like I went to in middle Field school, right? we went to city, went to the city council. Yeah. We went to, we went to, the, we went to the, the township trustee meetings. We went to the city council meetings. And, uh, you know, and that, like, I still remember that stuff. I still remember, like, the things that were being discussed and some of the dilemmas and so on. Well, but we liked I it as a kid because it got us out of the classroom. Yeah, yeah. I actually, right. learned, I actually right. learned something by doing it. And it was, yeah. it felt like you were, it, it, for the first time, in my experience anyway, it enmeshed you in the system. And it let you know yeah. what you, what people were doing outside of, you know, sitting in a classroom. And that, to me, that experience of being involved in it is what, I, I think that we, we miss yeah. when you sit on a screen 24 seven. Yeah. Well, you miss like the value conflicts. I mean, this is a super dumb, simple example, but when I was 13, I was in a city council meeting and there was a guy who had a small business and his business was tucked away somewhere in a development. And so he didn't have good signage. And there was a, and there was a, 
you know, there was a municipal rule um, about the, about not having signs by the side of the road. But if this guy didn't have a sign by the side of the road, he wasn't going to have a sign. And so like, okay, there's a conflict of values here. The, the city doesn't want people who live there to have to look at signs by the side of the road. On the other hand, this guy has a legitimate interest in having people know about his business. So what do you do, right? You find a compromise. And like they did find a, I don't mean to idealize all this, but you can never see, like those are two different points of view, neither of which are mine, but I could see them both like work themselves out as politics, right? And in that case, I think, you know, there were, you know this is like ages ago and irrelevant in some small town in Ohio. But, but the point is that you're never gonna face those kinds of conflicts on the screen because the screen is always adapting to you personally and molding right. you personally. And so you don't, you don't see like the, you don't see the facts, but you also don't see the, the conflicts of values. But the, I mean, so to finish the thought, I think that, I think that schools should be about reporting. I think there should be a lot more like actual experimenting, a lot more going outside and then reporting and like publishing even like, like free in yearbooks and so on, what's being reported much more active engagement because we're being trained to think that Facts don't matter. Emotions matter, and emotions are provided by the outside. And we've got to turn all of that around radically. And the only, the only way we can do it radically is by starting with the kids. Agreed. When you talk in this book, tyranny, uh, for those who haven't had it, could you just go through some of the the, the things that concern you in this country today that uh, have led you to, or, or leads others to believe that we're headed towards a tyranny, and how to avoid them? Yeah, I mean, we're talking, so um, we're talking now in October of, of 2021. Um, starting in summer of last year, I wrote um, a series of articles about the president, about the, the 2020 presidential campaign, in which I pointed out that the, the, there was a pro, point out what the problem was with Trump saying he wasn't going to concede, because he started saying that actually in July of 2020. And I, I developed this argument that like, if he's not going to concede, you know, what he's fundamentally doing is he's undermining elections. He's undermining yes. about elections. And then after November 3rd, um, I, I wrote, um, I was the first person to write, and I started this whole idea. I wrote about how his claim that he did, his claim that he won was a big lie, like in the technical sense yes. that it would become a story that people were going to inhabit and it was going to change the Republican Party and it was going to authorize the Republican Party to pass laws of, and so on. Like that was all clear to me. And so one of the reasons I'm glad on tyranny is coming out again is that the scenario now for the early 2020s is slightly different than the scenario after 2016. In 2016, people thought, you know, it's mainly about this guy and it was partly about this guy. It was also partly about the system. But now what we have is, you know, there's a new president and that's fine. And we like it barely happened, but it happened. Um, but what we have is we have now a, a concentrated planned attack on the system, um, which means voter suppression laws, which means um, laws very likely, which will allow state governments to allocate electoral votes different than the actual elections went. Um, we have memory laws trying to get Americans to think of them, white Americans to think of themselves as innocent victims the whole time. All of this is a oh, yeah. package which is meant to lead, in my view, to, to, to culture war by, by next year and to a scenario in 2024, 2025, where somebody, you know, this doesn't have to happen. I'm just saying like right now, this is the plan. I mean, this is not like some marginal thing. This is what's meant for a lot of people now. This is what's supposed to happen. Our guide will be a guy. Our guy can lose by 10, 12 million votes and, and even by 50 win. electoral votes and still be 
named president of the United States. That's the scenario. And so how do you, how do you, how how can we battle that? Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of journalism, like the I, I think democracy is the story. Like I think it's the well, I mean, there's there's climate change. That's a that's a big story too. But then I think that a framing story at the level of the US has to be democracy itself. Like we treat democracy like it's the stage on which we're playing, but it's not the stage on which we're playing. It's yeah. actually the story, right? Yes. Yeah. The stage, it's like the stage on which we're playing is something much bigger. You know, it contains authoritarianism and a lot of other stuff. So I think democracy itself has to be foregrounded. And along with that, reporters can't do this thing, which they just love to do about Republicans say and Democrats say, who cares, right? Look at what, look at what they're doing. And I don't care whether they're Republicans or Democrats, right? Like the first time we did this after 1877, it was a democratic party. The democratic party set up one, basically a one party authoritarian racist state in the South. That's part of our history. Racist one party states that don't let people vote are bad. And we know that from the history of the Democratic Party. But I don't really care that it was a Democratic Party. I mean, I care that it, I care about what it looked like. I care, I care that it was it. American experience. Yeah, I care it was America. Exactly. I don't want America to go there again. And so when we cover the, the story of democracy, we have to cover it as democracy and not the story of like Republicans say Republicans say it's about fraud. And but Democrats say it's about voter suppression. No. It actually is one thing or the other. And it actually is about voter suppression. And that's what the whole history of the United States tells you. Um, that, that first Democrats and then Republicans who want to suppress the black vote talk about fraud. We know that from 150 years of history. Um, and so that, so my basic point is like the democracy, democracy has to be the story that, that has like, and it has to be seen as a variable. It can be something that can go away, right? It's not something which is just there. Yeah. Democracy is the narrative, not the stage. I think you're, you're at, you, you've hit it there because people take for granted that we're playing on this stage and we're not. I mean, there, there are a variety of different uh, uh, narratives that we can follow on the stage and the stage is right. humanity. And, yeah. how, do, and yeah. how do we deal with ourselves as humans? How do we govern ourselves? How do we, how do we treat, how do we work together to achieve you know, common interests and common goals? I think that's been a race too. I mean, there are people who say, you know, you don't think the same way I do. And I go, well, wait a minute. Do you want a better life for your children? Do you breathe air? Do you eat food? Do you, I mean, we have far more in common than we have different from one another. But I think it's the authoritarianism, which teaches us, as you said earlier, to, to through fear and through alienation. And so you can feel both a victim and a victor at the same time. Well, there's a, there's a downward spiral, you know, where you, you, you get, once you give up on being a free person, and by a free person, I mean someone who's challenged and who changes their mind and who can handle a certain amount of, of, of discomfort, you know, and, and is, is ready to be surprised by that. Once you give up on that, then you get politically satisfied by thinking that other people are doing worse than you. You know, yeah. so like your, so like your sense of freedom is not, I'm bad. They're worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like maybe like, you know, maybe government isn't doing anything for me, but look, government's actually hurting those people, you know? And that's like, that's where it kind of comes down to. I mean, that, that, I mean, in, in some of my, this is not in on tyranny, but in some of my other work, I talk about something called Sado populism because people want to call Trump a populist. He's not a populist because a populist actually does something for some people. And, but, you know, but a Sado populist is somebody who hurts some people some but other people worse 
right. people get hurt some, then like their idea of freedom is, well, I got hurt some, but look, those other people got hurt worse. Right. You know? So therefore I'm like, you're both a loser and a winner at the same time. And that's like that fascist feeling. Like I'm, I belong to the tribe and like we suffer and there's some, there must be some reason why we're suffering, but look, those other people are suffering much worse because the tribal leader is making them suffer much worse. And then that's, that, you know, that's, that's, that's how Trumpian politics kind of works. And like, that's a downward spiral. And so people get used to that and they get very angry when you suggest, well, actually, you know, couldn't we all be a lot better off? I mean, you don't actually have to suffer. Right. And those other people don't suffer more. Actually, none of you have to suffer in this way. It's not necessary. We could all be doing a lot better if we, going back to your examples of food and water, we be, if we knew what, what food, I mean, do you know what food is good? And like, do we know what water is, is clean? Like we don't, if we all knew this stuff, we could all do a lot better. Right. And then, but then the, 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 where you turn the corner is when, as you've already suggested, when people don't even want that knowledge, like they would rather, right. they actually rather poison themselves or, you know, eat bad food or die of climate change or whatever, than have the, the place where they are challenged. Like they like that plateau where they are. I'm suffering, but those people are suffering more. Um, you know, the only, like the only thing I'm just like, the thing that I just insist on in conversations with those, with those folks is that, okay, but that's not freedom. You know, don't use the word freedom for that. You're, you're in a collective, a racial collective, a tribal collective. you like to see other people suffer, fine, call it what you want, but don't take my word freedom for that. That's not freedom. You know, that freedom is something entirely different. Well, and I, I think one final thought before we go to the break again is what you're talking about, what I've noticed over the years, it's complacency. That um, and, and Trump was wasn't a spearhead. He was a symptom of the fact. Look, people work their butts off. They're trying to get their kids to school. They're trying to yeah. get them to soccer practice. You have to hold down two jobs. Uh, you feel like you're you're worn to a frazzle. You don't look around to see, like you said, you you don't look around to see that other people are worn to a frazzle either. You feel like you're a victim. All right. I, I, this is horrible for me, but those people are suffering more. I'll put my head down. I'll do my job, good old fashioned work ethic. And somehow I'll have a little room to breathe and things will be all right. I think that part, part of that is, yeah. it has been built up over the years um, in, in, in our little D democracy where we yeah. have become blind and, um, and I guess numb to, to uh, losing the freedom and losing our, our way in the world. Your thoughts? But there's a, I mean, look, there's a, there's a history story there. And the history, the history story is part of freedom is enabling the freedom of other people. So, yeah. you know, if you want to be a free person, you can't be frazzled the whole time. You know, you, I mean, I've like, I've got soccer practice today, track practice. You know, I've got, I got, I got my school, my kids to school today, you know, like other, you know, everybody, everybody struggles with the same stuff and the same stuff is stuff we don't actually have to struggle with. Like what if we had government pensions for everybody that were adequate? We didn't have to worry about being old so much. What if we had a right to healthcare? You know, what if we had decent public schools? Um, what if like in the country where I just came from, which is, I lived in Austria last year. Like what if like, as in Austria, there was free daycare, like that was just taken for yeah. granted. We would be freer right? As adults, we would be freer. And, but what Americans basically since the Reagan administration, and by Americans here, I'm afraid, I mean, mainly white uh -huh. Americans, although not entirely, have gotten themselves talked into is the story that you're only free if government's not doing anything for you. And that's actually an authoritarian story because nobody can make all that stuff happen by themselves. Nobody can make healthcare happen by themselves. 
you just can't do it. It has to, you have to have a collective agreement about, about that. And that collective agreement allows you to be free. So the history of this is we built up, we were like, like, you know, like people look at Norway and Scandinavia, like remember Trump famously asked, why aren't they immigrating from Norway? There's a reason why they're not immigrating <laughs> from Norway, right? And, and They got it better there than here. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 the, and part of it is that when we gave up on, when we gave up on government services under Reagan, they kept going, they kept going. And so the, 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 the vibe, the mood is totally different when you're not worried about schools, you're not worried about your pension, you're not worried about healthcare. Healthcare in particular, man, the, the healthcare thing makes Americans crazy. We're worried about it all the time. It's a shame to talk about it. We're all worried about it. If you're in a normal democracy, that, that all that worry has gone away. And so anyway, to finish the history story, we were going in that direction. Um, we chose Reagan. Reagan. Reagan told this government was always the problem. We believed it. We disassembled our public services and, there, and thereby we, and this is like my American we, but also my white American we, we made things much harder for ourselves than they had to be. We made things much harder for our children than they had to be. And now we're looking for somebody to blame because we're sweating and we're stretching and we can't do it all. And so what do we say? We say, well, there are too many immigrants. Or we say, the black people got in line ahead of us. You know, that's what we say because we did this thing to ourselves and we are too cowardly to own it. We're too uh -huh. cowardly to say, like, we made this mistake. We should not have elected Ronald Reagan. We should not have gotten rid of all of our public services. And so now what we do instead, like, I very rarely hear anybody say that, oh, we made a mistake, right? We made a mistake. I say and, it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. when, you, when, you, when you said the magic words right there, Ronald Reagan, I see that's what if he, well, Nixon made Reagan possible. I, I yeah. mean, Roger Ailes and uh, the, what Nixon went through with the Southern strategy sure. set up Ronald Reagan. That yeah. was the, he was, if you want to get biblical, that was, uh, he was John the Baptist to uh, Ronald Reagan's sure. anti-Jesus. So when Reagan showed up on, on the stage, he dismantled a lot of everything that, and, and I, including the press. And I think all the freedoms of the press, I mean, he, he thought it was bet He thought it would better serve freedom to remove the guardrails that kept the press free and fair. And he was wrong. Yeah. And, we, also, yeah. and we also, don't admit it. Also unions. I mean, also, yes. also unions. That was a disaster, right? That was a disaster. The idea Echo. that Americans are freer. Exactly. When the idea that Americans are freer when they can't have civil society organizations is 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 nuts and it was the opposite of what the history of communism was saying at exactly that time in the 1980s which is a weird thing for me as a historian like right then it was the labor union solidarity which was leading the way out of communism and yet at that very moment like we chose to start dismantling our labor unions which has made us less free but if we're going to be historical about it i mean what reagan does actually goes all the way back to andrew johnson it goes all the oh, way back yeah. to, all the way back to the story that you know, you're going to tell white people, you're going to con white people, basically, like you're one white person conning another white people, other white person saying, hey, you're, it's, it's going to be better off if we get rid of all this stuff that we're doing, because, you know, hint, hint, you know, nudge, nudge, only the black people really need this stuff. You don't really need this stuff. You're, right. you're a frontiersman, you're independent, you don't need this stuff, only they need this stuff, because they're inferior, right? They're lazy. They're, you know, they're, that goes all the way back, you know, that, but, but the point is that, my point is, well, what it was, was it that Eisenhower, wasn't it Eisenhower who said, no, or was it Johnson? Yeah, I think it was uh, uh, John, it was uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson who said, 
if you want to get a, a, a white man to, to follow this type of thing, just convince them that they're going to be better off than the average black man, then, then they'll do it for you. They'll, they'll create the environment you want. And what LBJ said is they'll hand you, they'll hand, he'll hand you his wallet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, convince but, him he's but, better than the average black man. He'll hand you his wallet. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and so like, that's how, you know, so do you want to be a sucker, you know, historically speaking? And, and so we, we, but my point, I mean, that's, you know, so we've, we've sorted out this dynamic and this dynamic has a lot to do with American freedom, because if you want to be free, everybody's got to be free. And if everybody's going to be free, there's some stuff that we have to do together and pay for together. And we can't say I'm hardworking and you're lazy. Being hardworking is great. You know, like I work, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not going to brag. People in my family work really long hours. You know, my parents work really long hours. My dad was a small businessman. Like I get it. I get it with the hard work. Um, and I work way too many hours a week, but, but, but you can't, well, you can't, and that's good. You know, but what you can't do is say, because I work really hard, I don't need healthcare. That's crazy. And, you know, and because yeah, I work sure. really hard, that means that, you know, that means that the people who paint my house or who collect the garbage, they're not really working hard. No, they're working harder actually. Right. And they like, so we all need the same stuff to be free. And we let ourselves be conned, you know, racially, as a lot of Americans have, yes. white people, to be clear, then we're not going to have the stuff we need to be, that we need to be free. The white people have been conned for years by that, I believe, uh, that, that if they, that they are superior to black people, and that they can, uh, and that black people are lazy. And that's what they're doing with immigration, too. It When you listen to the argument on immigration, it always strikes me as horrible that people will believe that immigrants are coming to this country to both A, steal their, our jobs, and B, uh, sit on their butts and collect welfare. I mean, how, how, yeah. can, it, how can it be both? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, mean, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about this last year is like, why is it that the people who think that um, COVID was a bioweapon also think that it's harmless? <laughs> yeah, well, here's one for you. How is it that you don't trust science, but you will trust the science that created a dewormer for horses, but will not trust science that created a vaccine for humans? Yeah, that one's that one's that one's pretty good. Okay, we could go on. We could go on. And yeah. We're going to take um, a short break yeah. and we'll be right back with, and, and wrap up. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. At least that's what it says on my watch. And so, Dr. Snyder, I guess we'll stop uh, today. There's, I, we've talked about a lot that's wrong. Do you have any hope for the future? <laughs> or are we, are we hopelessly screwed? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, we've, I've been, I really enjoyed talking to you. But, but Me like, too. And, and yeah, I have lots of hope, you know. And the, the graphic edition of On Tyranny, by the way, is more hopeful precisely because it has images and it give and and I am I am hopeful because I know that like as a historian I know democracies often fail but I also know and recent history tells us this too that 
that they can pop up in unexpected places and for unexpected reasons. And that, you know, that it has a lot to do with us. Right. So yeah. like, there's nothing, you know, going back to the inner conversation, there's nothing out there, which is going to rescue us. You know, social media is not going to rescue us. Obviously um, the white paint of the white house is not going to rescue us. Not, not you know, nothing's going to rescue us except maybe us. And that's unpredictable, but maybe we will. And I like that. Like that's, that's, that's enough for me. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take the chance that the things that we we're still in a place where the things that we do could be decisive and could make our democracy much better than it is. Yeah. There was a president who once said, uh, there's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed by what's right with America. Yeah. I, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sign up for that, but we got to make it so. And uh, now you're going Star Trek on me, make it so number one. Uh, <laughs> what, um, what do you think we need? Uh, first of all, the name of the book again is tyranny and you can pick it up wherever fine books are sold. Um, and, but the question is, what do you think are positive steps we need to make in the next, uh, all right, by 2022, by 2024, the election cycle is coming around to 2022. Uh, there's a lot of consternation, a lot of uh, confusion. There's voter suppression that's being, that's taken place. How do we move forward? Let's start there with the midterm elections. How can we make it better by then? I'd, I'd, I'd like a lot of Americans, including reporters, to talk about the right to vote. You know, we, we kind of take that for granted, but we actually don't have a right to vote. It's pretty, right. un, it's pretty unclear. You and know? we don't vote, as I said and, earlier. Yeah, although, I mean, that's like a lot more, whether you like the way they voted or not, a lot more folks actually did vote in 2020 than in 2016. But True. a lot of, but, but if, I mean, but still, if, it was barely above 50%, right? It was 58%, something like that. Do I have yeah. my facts wrong? But I mean, still, that's when you look at it, the, the, it, if we don't have a majority of people voting, and voter suppression is a part of it, but if we don't take the time, I'll stand in line eight hours to vote. If I mean, as difficult as they want to make it, I would do it. I don't, I don't want that. But if we don't vote, the, the radical, what I see is that the voices that get heard are those that are most energetic and those that are most energetic are on the far left and far right. And so they're going to vote no matter what. And if we don't vote, that gives them a disproportionate voice in majority rules, does it not? I mean, I guess one of my, I'm going to start in a very different place. One of my concerns okay. about this, about the big lie is that it's going to teach Republicans that you know whether you win or lose isn't really about whether you vote, and you know like you, and and you know if I were the other side, if it, like what what would be my black arts if I were working against the Republicans? You know I would be trying to encourage them not to vote. You know so they lose by so much that that that, that their victory that they try to go for in some other way is going to seem more implausible. So one of the reasons I don't like, the, I mean I want I want Republicans to vote. I want everybody to vote. I want people who disagree with me to vote, and this is why. I, I'm rather than talking about like the self-sacrifice to vote because I don't know whether I wait eight hours. I'd like to think that I would, but I would I would start with like that it's a right, and that nobody should be waiting eight hours. Right? Like why is it why is it that in Canada like ninety percent of the population is registered and almost everybody votes, um, and they have you know there's a nonpartisan organization that govern that, that runs it, and it like we don't have these you know, inane, because when I say the right to vote, why is that important? It's because the voting is not like, it's not like the administration of, you know, it's not like, it's not like the administration of things, 
Um, we, we got ourselves, and the Supreme Court is mostly guilty of this, we got ourselves in this place where vote, we talk about voting as it was like some kind of incredibly complicated administrative thing. <laughs> and the most important thing, and then the most important issue is, do the states have do the states have the right to make this administrative thing as convoluted as possible? And the Supreme Court says, yes, of course, like the holy thing, the sacred thing is the ability of the states to take this administrative thing, which is already too complicated and make it even more complicated. That's holy, that's very important. But no, that's not what's important. What's important is the actual vote, right? Yeah, right. And, it, and so the reason why I talk about it as a right is we, want it, we need to be thinking about this exact, we need to be thinking about the opposite way. Like, the government is there to make it easy for us to vote. That's what they like that. And so I don't think anybody should be waiting hours. I don't think anybody should be waiting 30 minutes. You know, I, I, I think agree. everybody, and it should be, you know, while we're, while I'm just rolling along, it should be a national holiday. Because, I agree. Because you and I might be somehow able to rearrange our lives to wait eight hours, but most folks obviously can't, you know? So well, I'll, I'll go you a step further. I, if I can encrypt this to get in from, why can't I vote? with this with the phone why isn't there an app why i mean you can encrypt your your cell phones for everything else why not encrypt it with an app so that you can vote that easily um I, yeah I'm, a, I'm of a different mind i think we should all go with like white rocks and black rocks and like drop the rock <laughs> at the end of the day we know how many rocks there were yeah. it's like how are you gonna fake how are you gonna fake the rocks you, you know, can't the fake the rocks, the rocks, the rocks the <laughs> all right i'll go with that <laughs> uh, but like you know in all seriousness i like either I'm way favor, yeah i'm in favor i'm in favor of paper ballots because i am I, too honestly i, I yeah because i think if you're if there's you're gonna make a, it easy, make it easy is my yeah. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's my that's my point too. Yeah. So uh well, we've solved the world's ills. <laughs> so for 2022, we'll end with that. How do you see things going down in 2022? Well, I think the, the game that's being played is culture war because voter suppression is not just about it's not just about stopping black people from voting, it's also about making black people angry and like making black people angry and then blaming them for being angry. And, you know, and then using that to double down is a very, you know, old story in American politics. So, I mean, I think, I think, I think what, what's being aimed for here is culture war. And you see that with the critical race theory nonsense as well, you know, that like what's being aimed for is let's not talk about policy. Let's talk about how, let's talk about who's really the victim. You know, that's right. the critical race theory thing. Let's talk, they're not really the victim. Let's not talk about slavery. Let's not talk about voter suppression in history. Let's like, Let's make sure that everybody feels okay in the classroom, which means like, let's make sure basically white kids don't have to feel bad in the classroom. For me, that's all culture war because I mean, you can expect black people to take that up to a certain point and they do, but like there's a certain point where like, it's just not reasonable for us to be saying, it's more important for my white child not to feel uncomfortable in the classroom going back to discomfort. It's more important for that for my child shouldn't have to hear about Montgomery, Alabama, because that's going to make him feel bad. That's more important than us learning about Montgomery. No, it's not. It's less important, right, than actually learning about the stuff that actually happened in our country. So, I mean, this kind of stuff is like training, training you to think that you're part of a tribe and that you get to win, even if you lose. But it's also about provoking the other side. So what I worry, what I worry about is culture war in 2022. And I, and, and then the, the, and then what I worry, the outcome I worry about is the Republican party presently configured, although I would wish for a better one. Um, and I believe a better one's possible. The Republican party presently configured is gaming to win in 2024 while losing. And so if they do actually win in 2022, like if they get a majority in both houses, you can expect them in 2024 to install, I will use that word, 
to install somebody who loses. Um, the, the 2021, that will then become a rehearsal. And then, we'll, and then if their guy loses, and the thing is, their guy probably will lose because a presidential election is much less, is, is, is still gamed because electoral college, but it's much less gamed than other things in this country. Their guy is probably going to lose, um, probably by a lot, and they're going to go for it. So the 2022 for me is, so you asked earlier what the most important thing is, like I said, right to vote, but we really need legislation, which, which allows a right to vote. And then let this all sort itself out. Have legislation which make which gives everybody a right to vote. And then let let Republicans vote and not be thinking they shouldn't vote because of the big lie. Let Democrats vote. Let Americans vote. Um, and uh, and then see how this sorts itself out. What I'm worried about is we don't get that legislation. We have the same we have the same kind of you know, unfortunately not completely democratic elections because of gerrymandering, because of voter suppression in 2022. The Republicans win and they see that as their entry point to, to, to in 2024 to go for it. That's what I'm worried about for 2022. Fascism. That's, yeah, that's the watchword going forward. Do you think, final thoughts, do you think Donald Trump will run for re-election? Um, I think he is running for re-election. I, I think it's a funny, it's like a very funny, weird political spot because I think I mean, I'm not a like, I'm not part of the Democratic Party. I don't have access to what they actually think. But when I look at this, when I look at the tableau, what I worry about is they think he's going to be pretty easy to beat. And I think he will be pretty easy to beat in the sense of beating him by 10 million votes. But I, he, but he's also the person who we know will try to go for a coup because he already tried it once, right? Yes, I was so, there. <laughs> yeah. So. We know, I mean, we can be with, with Hawley and with Cruz, you know, they're definitely, they were part of that. But with Trump, you're 100% sure that the guy is going to go for it, that he's going to, no matter what happens, you know he's going to claim that he's going to win. And you know he's going to try to bully, if, if Republicans have a majority in the House and Senate, you know he's going to try to bully them to get him installed, because he did. He already did that once. He already he tried that once, yeah. So, I, so we're in this weird, I, I don't quite, so I don't. It seems, I think he I think he's he, he's going to run because he has huge debts and he needs to protect himself legally as well as financially and that's what it's all about for him you know and that's why it's all that's why he's a con from a to b you know from a to z yeah. whatever other letters there are in other alphabets that's why he's a con um because it's all about legal we'll have to go to Greek letters next <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well the Georgian language has a lot of letters you know a lot of different letters yeah <laughs> But 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 he has to go for it. Like that's built in. He has to yeah. go for it. He's going to run. And right now, he's. I mean, I think the Republicans are unhappy about it in general because I think they see it the same way the Democrats do that he's going to run, but there's that he can't get anything like a majority against any kind of plausible Democrat. I think he's running. I don't think he's going to win in any conventional way, but I think well, he's going to go for it. I think anyway. the Democrats aren't doing themselves any favors either, but that's that's a different that's yeah. a different issue for another podcast. <laughs> Dr. Snyder, I appreciate you being with us uh, today, and it was very interesting, very good conversation. Love to have you back. Yeah, well, I'll look forward to next time. Good to be with you. All right. Thank you very much. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks, and we'll catch you next time. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com.
slash J-A-T-Q podcast.